Hello and welcome to the Fox Hunt, Vixens by the Numbers, your once a week deep dive into all the numbers that matter to Super Netball side the Melbourne Vixens, currently sitting equal top of the ladder. The Fox Hunt is brought to you by Deakin, home to the world's number one sports science school. I'm Erin Delahunty, a freelance netball journalist. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today. I'm coming to you from Echuca in Victoria, the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I probably don't need to tell you all of our loyal fox hunters this, but this podcast is a stats focus and it's all about informing the feel of what happens on the super netball court with the cold hard statistics. And as I am every week, I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Fox from Deakin to analyse the Melbourne Vixens most recent game. Aaron is a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods and is a sports data and visualisation guru. To dissect the Vixens' seventh win of the season over the Giants, 66-63, in the first extra time game of the 2022 season, here's Aaron, who's coming to us from Wadawurrung land. Welcome, Aaron. Well, we had uh, another heart stopper, the KRA thriller. I think, I don't know, I feel like this podcast might be taking years off our lives at this point, do you think? Quite possibly, yeah. (laughs) Uh, but I know for a fact it's making you a big fan of the Vixens watching all these games. Uh, look, I always try to maintain my journalistic impartiality, Aaron, but I do have to admit the heart rate has been getting a little elevated these last couple of games. My lovely mum is a big Vixens fan, so I've always had something of a soft spot for them, I am willing to admit, and I think we just need to keep our te- post-game text messages to ourselves so no one can challenge that journalistic impartiality, Okay. Yeah, we'll see. That might come up later. <laughs> All right. So let's get to the game. Hot on the heels of a, a heart-stopping win over the Firebirds last round, the Vixens thought they'd take it to another level this week and go from being 11 goals up um, to losing that lead, thanks mainly to Super Shots, being down by three goals to being all tied up at the final whistle to playing five minutes of extra time against the Giants. They did come away with a three-goal win in the end against the Giants, who lost their their leader, captain, and you know one of their main shooters, Joe Harton, in the second quarter to illness. The Vixers were in control for large chunks of this game, Aaron, as I said, leading by up to 11 goals. So the fact that this game even went to extra time probably was a credit to the the Giants and young shooter Matisse Leatherborough in particular, who shot the lights out when she came on. But as both coach Simone McInnes and co-captain Liz Watson pointed out post-game, the Vixens having the composure to get that win was big time pleasing, especially as we're sort of heading very quickly towards finals. I feel like a bit of a broken record saying this, but Liz Watson, again, starred, named MVP. She worked really beautifully with Kira Austin and MJ Kamwenda, um, and MJ put in a perfect shooting game. As tends to be the case in these kind of games, though, I think the mind sort of sticks to the big moments in that extra time period, like Joe Weston taking a really beautiful intercept in defence. I think it was actually her first intercept for the game, though. But I think the composure and accuracy from Kumwenda was another thing that stood out. She shot six from six in extra time, which was all of the Vixens' goals. Anyway, my goodness, I could talk all day about this game, Aaron, sorry, what were the key numbers that that stood out to you? Well, let's start with the obvious super shots, 12 to 1 in the Giants' favour. Uh, but we will have more on that later. 
Uh, the Giants might have felt like they had their chances and left a bit on the table with their defence. They led the Vixens 19 to 11 in deflections with no gain. So really tipping those balls, but not getting the turnovers. Um, and this was likely reflected in the pickups statistics, which is something we haven't really discussed mm. too much this year, I think, but it refers to teams picking up on loose balls. And the Vixens led this 22 to 7, indicating they were more likely and more able to pick up those loose balls that were cropping up in the game. And when the game was on the line in extra time, the Vixens really cleaned up their act, recording only one contact penalty and one turnover in that five-minute period. Yeah, that pickup stat is really interesting to look at. And it did feel watching that when the chips were down towards the end, it was the Vixens who responded better. I guess that's no, you know, no surprise given how experienced the Vixens lineup is this year compared to the Giants. As I said, they've got a couple of young players, Leatherbarra and even Tilly McDonald on the court that maybe haven't been in those pressure situations just yet. Now we have touched on before this about just how polarizing the super shot can be among netball fans in general. But as you just explained, it was really central to this game. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. I'm sure I'm not the only one who thought this result was going to be flipped on its head. Uh, Aaron, give me all the gory details, please. Okay. So with 12 made super shots for the giants this round, it was their equal highest number for the year replicating what they did in their 28-goal victory over the Lightning in round seven. The five they had in the third quarter, though, uh, was their most for a quarter this year. Mm. Um, And I don't really like to think about the game margins this way because I know that the progression of the match with and without super shots can change how it goes. But I know some fans like to know this. If we counted the super shots (laughs) as one goal, this would have been a 65 to 51 victory to the Vixens. Uh, And Aaron, I know you mentioned your, your text messages (laughs) earlier. Uh, You sent me one after this game on the weekend. I believe our podcast is a family friendly show. So I won't read it out on air, but it sounds like you definitely have some perspectives on the way the super shot played out in this match. Well, I mean, firstly, a 14 goal win is a very different result to a three goal win in in extra time and probably demonstrates what a significant difference that Supershot can have. And look, to your question, I I've, I haven't been backward in coming forward, I guess, about my opinion of the Supershot since it was introduced without any consultation, without any of the players or the Players Association, might I add, Aaron. Um, so to the Super Supershot, and look, you have to imagine when I say Supershot, there's got to be air quotes around the Super. Okay, as I'm sitting here. Look, fundamentally for me, this rule is based on a premise that there was something inherently flawed in the game of netball that simply had to be fixed lest the game was going to die. And that's clearly simply untrue given the popularity of our game across the country and across the world. The rule, as we saw on the weekend, also puts more weight and value on one skill ahead of any other in the game. That's indisputable, right? And to me, that's the antithesis of netball's kind of unique egalitarian spirit where unlike in a lot of other sports, think about basketball as an example, everyone matters in a netball team. The tiny little wing attack, the gangly goalkeeper, the zippy centre, they all matter except in the last five minutes of each quarter in Super Netball when someone who can shoot from an arbitrary line painted on the court can decide the game 
right? They matter more. So I think that's the uh, reaction that you're probably picking up on in our in our I, I text. Mean, that was more articulate than <laughs> it was presented to me on Saturday. <laughs> Look, what the, the idea that, that what happens in those five minutes and being able to shoot from that distance, it's worth more than an intercept. It's worth more than a beautiful triangle setup. It's worth more than a set play, a clever set play off a centre pass. As Dennis Denuto would say, it's the vibe of the thing. Aaron, it's off. But... We are meant to be keeping this podcast to somewhere in the 20-minute mark. So I better shut up about the super shot, remembering the air quotes around super, okay? Got it. Now, back to the actual game. At the risk of being predictable, I, th- I think we do need to focus on Kamwenda, who put in a 100% accuracy shooting gra- game, and Watson, who, I mean, she was just so good in this in this game. It's hard to even explain it to people. A friend of mine actually sent me a message and said, do you know what? People that don't understand netball might not ever understand how good uh, Liz is at this game. But let's, let's start with MJ to begin with. Yeah. So I think you might need to start thinking of a regular segment name for Kamwenda with the way she's going the last couple of weeks. You know, following an average performance, against the Magpies. It's now two weeks in a row with 50 plus goals, something she hadn't done this year up until these last two weeks. Um, And looking at her scoring, you mentioned she was at 100% this round. She did have a miss right near the end of the round eight Firebirds match, but she's now on a 51 goal streak with no misses. So We'll check back maybe next week to see how far she pushes this after these next two games. I think Janelle Fowler might have done something similar on the weekend. She she went for a super shot right on on the whistle. So you always think, oh, don't do that to yourself. Don't ruin that pretty number on the on the screen there. No. Well, we'll maybe we'll count the streak with um, just regular shots uh, <laughs> to pick up on the theme of what we've been talking about. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, now to Watson Watch. You know, this match for her had, she's had a good season so far, but this round she had the highest number of center pass receives she's had for the year with 36. Uh, she was just one off her top number of feeds for the year with 46. And she had her equal highest number of goal assists for the year with 28. All of this culminated to her highest net points total for the year with a staggering 121. And she did all of this with only having three turnovers, which is her second lowest for the year. So it makes sense why you thought this game was so impressive. We, we need like a special effect. I need a button that we can press or something that just goes ding, 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 ding. Yep, to, yep. to do get all the, that with... a soundboard. Yes, to do all that with only three turnovers, as you just said, is just hugely impressive. Yes. Well, I remember in one of our early podcast episodes, we were talking about how she was always sitting at the top of the league for these stat totals by the end of the year. And if we take a mid-season look where she's sitting, she's currently number two for feeds, number three for feeds with attempt, number three for goal assists and number three for center pass receives. So not, you know, number one or anything, but being in the top three for every single one of these statistics is Incredibly impressive. Um, And something that's continuing to impress me, this is how she does it with so little turnovers. And she's recording only 0.1 turnovers per circle feed, meaning she will have 10 feeds in a game by the time she records one turnover. And out of players with over 200 feeds this season, she's sitting number two in the league for this turnover per feed metric. Uh, And now a little quiz for you, Erin. Can you guess who is number one? Firstly, love this metric. 
Love it. Very similar. I guess it's the it's the attacking version, feeder version of that defender one that we've talked about, about how many contacts mm-hmm. to turnovers and that sort of thing. Firstly, I love it. Who is really clean and doesn't turn the ball over? Who turns the ball over? Look, I'm going to have to go for Kelsey Brown. Would that be right? Well, you would be correct on that. Yes. Uh, I feel like you might have been digging into my stats files. No! No! I'm very... It's, <laughs> it's literally like... Neck and neck. It's a rounding error. If I round up the numbers, they're both at 0.1. But if we ex- extend this out to, you know, three or four decimal places, Kelsey Brown is just in front. Wow. I think we might need to timestamp that and send it off to Stacey Marinkovic, perhaps. Maybe. While we're on our favourite topic of turnovers, what did the stats look like in, in this game against the Giants? Well, the Vixens did have 20 turnovers, which is getting up around the number we're often seeing teams reach and lose games. But the Giants still did outnumber them with 22 of their own in this match. The way these were distributed across the quarters for the Vixens is probably the interesting point here, where they came out a bit messy in the first quarter with six turnovers. And it could have been much worse because in that first quarter, the Giants also had six deflections with no gain. Um, I thought watching it, the Vixens really cleaned up in the second quarter and the stats do reflect this where they only had four turnovers, but then jumped back up to six in the third quarter. Uh, But like we touched on earlier, with the game on the line in the fourth and extra time, they only had three and one turnovers respectively. So a real sort of up and down game in that area for the Vixens. Yes, fascinating to see how it ebbed and flowed across the match and were able to sort of clean up and get back into it. A lot of that obviously is that sort of mental side of it, of being able to, to get your head back into the game. Be really interested to see how that might correlate with timeouts as well. I think the Vixens are using those really interestingly this year. Now, another count that was high in this game was uh, the penalty count. Many people have observed just how much whistle there was in this match. The Vixens uh, seemed to be out of play more than they were in it at some stages. What did the penalties look like? Well, the Vixens uh, did have more penalties than the Giants in this one sitting at 89 to 80 and as you're kind of alluding to this was the Vixens most penalized game for the year yeah right Um, and only the third time for the year that the Vixens have had more penalties than their opponent Um, interestingly we often see the greater penalties coming up in contacts uh, but the Vixens actually had less contact penalties than the Giants at 56 to 59 but they had many more obstruction penalties at 33 to 21 Um, And it really was the first quarter that kind of set them on this path where the Vixens had 27 penalties to the Giants, 14. And this uh, is equals the Vixens highest penalized quarter for the year there with 27. Ah, well that sort of checks out with what felt like one end being more heavily penalized than the other, but leaving the umpiring to one side. As I'm sure all our listeners know, we're into another sort of crunch fixture with three games in a week or so or or something silly like that, which means the Vixens play the West Coast Fever tonight, Tuesday, in what should be an absolute rip snorter of a match, uh, the top two teams, obviously. And then just a few days later, uh, the the Vixens will host the Swifts at John Kane Arena. That's on Saturday night. Look, it's hard to cover so much in today's episode, Aaron, but what do you think the Vixens will be looking to do to replicate their earlier win over the Fever this season? Well, since we spoke about the Fever earlier in the year, not much has really changed. Uh, They continue to have the most efficient attack in the league, which is represented by this high rate of scoring combined with a low number of possession changes or turnovers. So, 
They don't turn the ball over and they score a lot, which means high attacking efficiency. <laughs> it's not rocket they, science, hey? <laughs> no. Uh, they still have the highest average scoring um, by far in the league this year. They're, they're five goals ahead of the Firebirds in second and eight goals ahead of the Magpies in third. And when we look at this average score differential between the Fever and the Vixens, it's approximately 10 goals. So mm. I think the real key to winning here is, you know, they have to slow down the Fever, but they also need to up their own scoring, which they have somewhat been doing in recent weeks. Um, the Fever and Vixens are both quite clean with the ball. They're number one and number two in the league for the least turnovers. So whoever can force the other into more mistakes will certainly help them with winning. Mm. And what about the Swifts at the weekend? Well, I don't think we could really find a more contrasting set of matchups for this sort of condensed fixture. It's near opposite to what the Fever are doing, where the Swifts look like having one of the less efficient attacks in the league. They're second lowest in the league for scoring, second worst in the league for possession changes or turnovers, uh, second lowest in the league for centre pass to goal conversion at 65%, which not really where you should be aiming for there and actually worst in the league for goal shooting percentage at 79%. Uh, so it's hard for a team to win doing all of those things. So you'd kind of just expect the Vixens to try and push the Swifts into these typical patterns to get over the line. Yeah. And the Swifts and Vixens have had some great tussles over the years too. It doesn't, doesn't seem to matter sort of where they are on the ladder now it's time for Fox Answers the Fans, where we attempt to stump Aaron with a statistical question from a listener. We love getting your questions for this segment via um, social media. So you can do that by using the hashtag the Fox Hunt Pod. Look, the curlier, the better. We love these questions to really try and test Aaron if we can. Today, we have one from regular listener Neats Lettuce on Twitter. I presume off the back of the Giants' ability to claw their way back into the game at the weekend, Neats asks, what is the highest number of successful super shot shots made by a team in a game and what is the highest number of shots by a losing team so the timing of this question is actually brilliant because this seems to be a real stereotypical giants thing so if we go through it year to year in 2020 the giants recorded the most made super shots out of any match with 17 and this was actually in the round 14 draw with the swifts that year uh, in 2020, the Swifts actually had the most in a loss, dropping 15 in a round 12 <laughs> loss to the Fever. But the Giants weren't far behind with 12 super shots in their round one loss to the Swifts. In 2021, the Giants again recorded the top super shots made with 11 in a round four win against our favourites, the Vixens. But they also dropped 10 super shots in a round five and nine loss to the Fever and the Swifts. <laughs> And again, in 2022 this year, the Giants recorded 12 super shots in their round seven win to the Lightning, as we'd all already said. Mm -hmm. um, but they've also recorded 12 in two losses in round five and nine to the Fever and the Vixens. Wow. So it's all about the Giants with the super shots. Yeah, wow. But it doesn't necessarily win you the game, right? No. <laughs> Look, I, I think we all sort of remember of all the players across the league, Giant Joe Harton was quite vocal, you know, when the super shot was was introduced and how it was done without consultation um, with the players, yet the Giants have really been able to use it to, to great effect. Um, as we've touched on already, the Vixens take on Fever in Perth tonight and then the Swifts game that we were just speaking about. Now, before I ask Aaron for his performance predictions for those games, let's first check how he went last week. For the 
Giants game, you pointed out that the Vixens hadn't had a game where they'd recorded 15 or more gains since their round three clash with the Giants and suggested the Vixens would bring that high level of defensive pressure. And the Vixens did the right thing by you, didn't they, Aaron? Yes, only just <laughs> with recording 16 gains across the match. Uh, when I looked and they had 10 at half time, I thought this one was going to be a little less stressful <laughs> of a prediction as the game wound down, but didn't end up being the case. A win is a win, can I say? <laughs> uh, you also suggested last pod that the Vixens could be the first team to get a hundred percent gain to goal conversion percentage twice within the one season. So that's across the whole season. They we're at a pretty low 63% this round, but that prediction can stay live. I've decided, obviously, because it, it goes across the whole of 2022. Yeah, I think I've really got to rein myself in on those <laughs> predictions. Like I should have just stopped at one, but I took it a little bit further. Not quite the backup I expected off that Firebirds game. And it was really the first and second quarter that let this prediction down. They had a gain to goal rate of 20 and 60% respectively across those first two quarters. Yeah. But after half time, they did in fact convert hundred percent of their gains to goals. So maybe next week they're, they're on that path. Okay. Again. No excuses. You need the whole game, right? Fair enough. <laughs> so what have you got for me ahead of round 10 we're up to against the fever tonight and then 11 for, uh, round 11, which is the Swifts at the weekend, Darren? Uh, well, I'm going to double down on my earlier round prediction for the fever matchup uh, where I think the Vixens will once again hold the fever under 70 goals. And this time the fever's final score will be between <laughs> 60 and 65, not 66. <laughs> Um, and looking ahead to the Swifts, um, they've had 20 plus turnovers in seven of their nine games this year, including the last three games. And so given what we're often talking about with the Vixens defensive strengths, I fully expect this 20 plus turnover trend to continue. Okay. They're in the book. Well, that's nearly it for the show today. But before we go, we wanted to let all our listeners know about Deakin's virtual open day, which is coming up on Sunday, June 5. You can get all the information you need from one epic interactive digital event where you can explore courses, check out Deacon's various campuses and have study questions answered all from home. This will include the Fox Hunt's own Dr. Aaron Fox, who will be behind the scenes answering questions in the exercise and sports science session chat. Over the past two years, over 100,000 people have joined the Open Day. That's all about tomorrow. You don't want to miss out. Just search Deacon Open Day online and reserve your spot. Thanks for joining us.